first jackets I ever made, I put on Twitter and Chance saw it and requested it and then wore it on the cover of Billboard. That's crazy. That was like the third piece I'd ever made for real. The role of the artist is to make revolution irresistible. This is Tony Cade Bambera. She's an abolitionist author. She's right. Like the artist's role is to get the, the people where we need like mind, body, soul, you know, so that we can confront the reality of this world that we live in. Mass production, I don't need to be t-shirt poppy. Like we got enough of that. I don't want a bunch of my stuff to end up in a landfill. I don't need everybody to have Stitch God stuff. If you're an artist or creative, interested or curious about what goes are in the world of business and tech, or you're a tech entrepreneur who's interested in being close with fashion designers or musicians, then this show is for you because it's conversations with the coolest people making it happen at the forefront of technology, culture, business, and the arts. Okay, everybody, we are here back today once again at the intersection, at the intersection of technology and culture, interviewing and having conversations with the coolest people at the forefront of tech, culture, business, and the arts. It's my super duper enthusiastic pleasure today to welcome Emma McKee, better known as the Stitch God. You've done embroidery, embroidery for the likes of like just the name, the name list. I have a very long name list. <laughs> okay, like, I'm interested to see which ones you picked. SZA, mm -hmm. Chance the Rapper, mm -hmm. Cole Bennett, mm -hmm. Lil Yachty, Bad Bunny, the WNBA, Kendrick Lamar, the Bulls, No Name, uh -huh. The Mind, uh -huh. Saba, yeah. Smino, yes. King Louie, uh -huh. Chief Keef, yeah. Most Def, yes. Joe Fresh Goods, That's right. DJ Oreo, uh -huh. BJ the Chicago Kid, uh -huh. Brandon Johnson, yes. Vic Mensa, yes. <laughs> Kanye, yeah, and even Blue Ribbon the beer. Yeah, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Lot and and lots of other. Yeah, Nike, Gatorade, Wilson. Yeah, Jordan Brand. You name it. <laughs> with, with the exception of a few names in there, if that's not the most Chicago list of collaborations that I've ever seen in my life, that's wild. Um, not only that, but like you've uh produced media within like the music space like journalism publicity ticketing you made a shoe with jordan uh and you said you weren't born in chicago but you were formed here yes. i feel like i can definitely affirm this welcome oh thank you welcome i love that I, I i love that intro i also love like the denotation of it being the most chicago list of collaborations <laughs> of, that makes me feel very proud <laughs> so thank you for that but yeah, I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk to you. Excited to see what you have to ask me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you have to say in response to what I ask you. So um, you said like beca because of the nature of your work um, and the kinds of people you're around, you uh, when media publications like talk about you, they portray you kind of like a rapper. <laughs> they? Yeah, so, no, I mean, they, they kind of do. I feel like I am part of this, like, lore, you know what I mean? It's like, here is this music scene, and there's little asterisks, and there's me making custom pieces alongside the growth of all this other stuff. Um, and I think probably my nickname helps a little bit, you know? I think I, I lucked out with the Stitch God moniker, which I feel like is very important to tell you that I did not pick that for myself. It was, um, I, I it was like gifted upon me, I guess. But um, yeah, I, 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought about being portrayed like a rapper, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say more people know me as Stitch God than Emma, certainly, uh, or Stitch. Um, it's kind of like cool to have, uh, you know, a persona to shield myself with. <laughs> I like to say that Emma is the creative director of Stitch God. You know, I'm like the I'm like the little the little man sitting in the brain operating the machinery. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, well, I, well, that's cool. I've never I hadn't really thought about that before. You said it yourself. Did I? You did. Wow. The, in my short term in memory 2018. in 2018. You did your you did your research. That's funny. <laughs> I, um, yeah, my short term memory is bad. I've I've done a lot of these and I smoke a lot of weed. So you know, there's some stuff that I just. <laughs> I, I also, when I like talk to folks, I I like black out sometimes. Like mm-hmm. when I do panels and things like that, people are like, oh, that was so nice and insightful. And I'll be like, I have not a I clue. What no, I said. Wow. yeah, but but I also feel like that's a lot. I feel like a lot of creatives will tell you that they have that experience when they're in like they're really in the groove of whatever it is. They just like click in and go and let the things happen. And for me, it's like in interviews, I and panels and podcasts and things I just oftentimes will will not at all remember what I said so that's funny that I said that about myself and then I'm like oh I've never thought that before but yeah no um <laughs> yeah I I think that they probably do treat me like that because I'm in a lot of the same spaces that they're mm-hmm. in you know what I mean so I feel like it's an easy comparison to make but how funny <laughs> you said something about uh shielding yourself and you have this interesting contrast of like being such a talented creative insightful person and yet when you started to get into your work you said that uh you just started to create for people that you were most enthusiastic about which were like these chicago rappers but you felt like there was something weird about it yeah or you felt like uncomfortable yeah definitely like, being public about it well like, i um i talk about i talk a lot about uh vocation and like finding our meaning in life and I had been, I have two parents that had vocations or have vocations. My dad's a minister. My mom is um, a, an opera singer. And they, um, you know, they showed me all through my life that that you're supposed, to, you're supposed to find the thing that you're supposed to do. And so I was like, okay, cool. That's what we do. That's what we're doing. I tried all this stuff. And then um, I decided to make a gift for my mom for Christmas, a cross-stitch thing. And um, it was then that I discovered that this is like the thing that I meant to do. But I was wild embarrassed of it. Uh, I feel like cross-stitch more than any other medium is, like, dictated by the content. You know what I mean? You think of cross-stitch and you think of, like, ironic uh, Lil John lyrics or, like, uh, Bible verses or flowers or, like, cherubs or, like, whatever saccharine stuff. Um, you know, when you're talking about painting, you don't automatically think that the content is going to be whatever it is because you're a painter. You know what I mean? I don't know why we do that with cross-stitch, but we do. Um, and so I... I just thought it was like weird and lame. And I was like, oh, this is so powerfully strange. Like, why is it this thing? I didn't want it to be this thing. You know, I love music so much. I love rap so much. I love sports and culture and all this other stuff. And I was like, for real, it's cross-stitch. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't change any of my socials. I wouldn't call myself an artist. I would carry my pieces around like in my bag. I'd show people like secretly but I wouldn't mm. put anything I wouldn't put anything on the internet like I was just like so shy about it because it felt so expository for me it felt like showing so much of myself and then I was like ooh I don't know if I want to be that mm. you know w- when did that flip I feel like it was forced 
<laughs> it was a force flip. It was just everything was happening happening so fast. I kind of just had to accept what it was and go with it. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, there was no option for me to kind of hide myself in the shadows anymore because every time I stepped out of the shadow, just even like a tiny bit, like with my my one toe, something crazy would happen, and I'd be like, ah, okay. <laughs> What's the story behind that though? What do you mean, like? Like when did you started making stuff, and then it happened like that. Like it, s- swear to God. I mean, one of the like. First jackets I ever made, I put on Twitter and Chance saw it and requested it and then wore it on the cover of Billboard. That's crazy. That was like the third piece I'd ever made for real. Like I, you know, and because he was wearing my stuff, other people, you know, he was having this huge moment. Other people were asking for stuff too. um, And so I couldn't just like hide it in my bag anymore. (laughs) So you weren't necessarily even trying to get these things put on celebrities. You just put it on Twitter. Did you promote it? Did you like... No, not even a little bit. It was was like against my base instinct (laughs) to tweet it because I so didn't want attention for it. You Mm. know what I mean? I so badly did not want attention for the stitching thing because I felt embarrassed by it. Because I felt embarrassed by how enthused I was for this seemingly like really nerdy thing. You know, I was like, clearly this is my part of my friends this is my shit but i you can actually say whatever oh, the fuck I, you I want on this whatever show, the fuck i want yeah. amazing i swear <laughs> like a sailor um but like no it really was my shit but i was afraid to claim it because all of my interactions with it or my previous knowledge of it was like kind of i feel so bad i don't want to insult any textile artist but like the the context you, aren't was kinda, you a textile artist i am but i but like i thought i thought the whole crosses thing i thought that was so weird of me and like kind of like old this here's this old this old school thing that everybody's granny does and here i am like doing it about rap music is that not the most supremely like cheesy thing ever i was like oh people are gonna hate me um i you know i was just like i can't this seems uh, i don't know it just made me deeply uncomfortable um but i so i definitely wasn't trying to show people i like i found this skill I found that I needed to do it because that's what kind of happens when those things get a hold of you. Like it, it has to get out. You have to do it. And so I did it about and concerning and relevant to the stuff that I already loved. Um, but I was so self-conscious about it that I hit it. <laughs> um, and then, this, as I said, the second I started showing people, crazy stuff started happening. Crazy, like, what? <laughs> like it's cra- it's crazy that 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 third piece got on the cover of a major music magazine and I got a credit in there. You know, I didn't even design I didn't even consider myself a designer or a fashion person or anything back then. I really was just mm. like um I felt like a servant to whatever this thing was. Hmm. So w- was it like the fact that suddenly all these really cool people were affirming that no this is dope and then you're like oh maybe i'm not lame (laughs) i don't don't know it wasn't it wasn't even like that validation it was just like well if this is what people if this is what the people want from me then this is probably what i should do that was really all it was Hmm. it wasn't like oh look at all these super cool people validating my stuff it's just like oh they want it i'll make it well exactly i was like that they want that from me (laughs) you know what i mean like they want they want my my taste and my skill and you know my handwork or whatever i was like well that's crazy i guess i'd better then (laughs) you know before i was stitch god people didn't even know my name i was like oh you're the girl with the jackets you're the girl that makes the jackets right you're the jacket girl the jacket girl joe fresh goods tweeted he's like who's the girl that makes the jackets he was looking for me <laughs> that's so undescriptive but i know but 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 they knew who exactly you are. who i was yeah i i think it i think it might have been 
It might have been Eddie Sanders who was like, hey, Joe Fresh Goods is looking for you. Because <laughs> he saw That's the tweet. so funny. It's just, it is. It's like, and so when I was hiding my face and people were like, oh, you're the girl that, make this, that makes the jackets anyway, I felt like, obviously, I should be making these things if people are like, hey, you, <laughs> come do this. Hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't the validation of like them saying you were cool, no. but it was like the fact that people were enthusiastic to have something that you were able to offer and you were like why not i've always i've always won my well i think this probably comes from being a preacher's kid and having a dad as a minister and just like seeing his ministry my whole life i feel like i'm always called to be in i want to be in service to people mm-hmm. you know that has always been like a big thing for me and even in my artistic practice now i want to be in service to people and so when i was learning how to make that stuff i felt like that was my service you know, this was the this was how I could be a servant of the people is to be able to make this stuff, because as far as I could tell, nobody else could or was. So it really felt like that was what I was supposed to be doing. It helps that I got a lot of really good cosigns, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. definitely helps. But it, it has never been ever, ever, ever been the mission ever. That was never what I set out to do, you know? Yeah. Speaking of this, like being in service of people, you mentioned uh I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but <laughs> as you as you get more like attention and fame and praise and influence for doing like fun celebrity stuff that you try to also raise the doing good by people, good for people bar. Always. So what always. Is, what is what? Just what, what, what were you about to say? No, I just like <laughs> I no, I just think that I think it's an important part of my art practice is to keep that balance. You know what mm. I mean? Like. If I'm going to have this platform, if I'm if I'm given any kind of platform to speak, well, then I feel like I use this word a lot and people always make fun of me for it. But I feel like it behooves me to be doing something for the betterment of like whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and what, and I'm still figuring out what that even looks like. You know, I don't have um, a concrete plan for like this is how I'm going to go change the world. But I feel like if I <laughs> if I'm faffing uh. about and doing all of this kind of like candy stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. You gotta have the vegetables too. You gotta eat your broccoli. Like (laughs) that's a good way to put it. It's the truth though, because if we're, you know, as a society, I don't think we are terribly mindful, and we're losing connection with one another, and we don't feel Mm -hmm. like we need to, you know, this fabric of society is wearing thin because of lots of reasons. Um, But I feel like if we all just, you know, wanted to lend what we do to the betterment of others, I think we'd just be in a lot better place. Not, you know, not that I'm any kind of example or anything like that it's just how i think that we should be living and so i'm trying to figure out how to do that honestly within my you know art career hmm this is kind of uh interest weird i don't know how it's a tangent uh sometimes i see people take this idea and then they also apply like a self-serving thing to it like i'm gonna be the next nelson mandela i'm gonna be the next gandhi i'm gonna be the next dalai lama watch me and i'm like bruh like how it's like like, have you there was a what was there was there was a big uh reporting on elon musk recently and and they were asking a lot of his contemporaries about him and somebody said and i thought this was so interesting um Elon Musk wants to save the world, but only if he's the one that can save it. Mm. And I think that that's a lot of people. And I think that that's the problem with ego. I mean, look at all around us. Ego is just hurting us in all these crazy ways, you know? 
Um, ego keeps us trapped in this white supremacy and this late stage capitalism. It's a lot of really dangerous things associated with that, you know? Yeah. I question even myself sometimes, like, am I doing this genuinely in the interest of this person or am I like doing it to give myself like social brownie points down right. the line? Well, I mean, like we're yeah. human. I feel like we're so inherently flawed that like, yeah, we look for that, you know, the not so pretty side of that thing but it comes naturally but i think as long as we are constantly like searching for that answer within ourselves that should keep us in pretty good check you know you want to make sure mm. that you're doing things for the right reasons and interrogating yourself is like part of that yeah uh, for the longest time maybe with the exception of some of the stuff that's on your website now like you don't ask people to you don't charge for your work and you don't ask people to pay you and well, what's this what's this so so yeah, yeah i mean yes yes and no mm -hmm. yes do you want to you want to what was it? i want the full yeah, yeah well the what i was getting at was um you said you were able to avoid like working with lames that way but also at the cost of probably a lot of extra financial gain yes so well lames is such a funny thing i like i can hear <laughs> my i can hear myself like five or six years younger when you're referencing these interviews i can hear it i'm like yeah i would say some wild <laughs> shit like that i mean but it's, it's basically the truth it's just like lames are not who you might think lames are you know what i mean like mm. i don't i don't think that they're you know i don't think I don't think of like people as lames. I feel like the NFL is fucking lame. Like <laughs> that. Yeah, no. So it's, um, yeah, the money thing why? has always been, why do I think the NFL yeah, is lame? Yeah. I think the NFL is lame because they send all of these like super injured people out into the world without any way of dealing with like CTE. And there's also a lot of abuse in the culture. There's a lot of like weird money stuff. There's tax stuff. There's just like a lot of reasons that I don't really rock with it. I mean, they changed the rules in the sport in the 70s to make it more dramatic to watch on television and it just resulted in this like gladiator culture and people just get hurt all the time um and it's america's favorite pastime and it's like so unpopular to be like i don't really fuck with the nfl but i never have um <laughs> um so i think that's i think that shit is kind of lame you know what i'm saying like i i feel like i come off as very flippant when i'm like i don't have to work with lames but the money thing is <laughs> The money thing is um, important, right? I worked a corporate job for a decade. Um, I was doing corporate ticket sales, basically, mm -hmm. and making a bunch of money and putting so much of that money into Stitch God, which made it so that I could do whatever I wanted. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right, like, right, I don't, I think, I think in a lot of people in the beginning of their art career or any career, you kind of have to acquiesce to yeah, yeah. whatever is going to pay you. But I had this like great luxury. I don't know. I call it a great luxury, but I was also working my ass off mm -hmm. <laughs> doing a corporate job and also the Stitch God thing at the same time. But it did allow me to circumvent a lot of situations I didn't want to be in. I didn't have to rely on money. I could also show people. Part of that was also like showing Chicago my like true investment in the city also. And then another part of it is um, like wealth dis disbursement. You know, if in the event that I become, you know, some super poppin' visual artist and my work is worth like a ton, a ton of money, then a bunch of people in Chicago are going to have pieces that are automatically mm. like part of this, you know, zeitgeist and also stuff that is worth money. You know what I mean? Like they'll have the proper beginning of a fine art collection if that if I can manage to do that in my lifetime. And so that's what a big part of that is about. So I'll always do jackets for barters or for like no cost, but also... 
I'm very expensive when I do <laughs> when I do charge people. I just like I got to make that very clear. I don't I don't work for free all the time, and I definitely don't <laughs> don't work for free with corporations. Um, but I like the ability to take money out of the conversation because it changes the power dynamic. Mm. And like as a creative, I really want to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And when you're taking commissions from people, you're usually having to do things that they want to do. And I'm very headstrong. Yeah, yeah. Me too. You you said um, there's this power in being able to say no to what you don't want to have to deal with. Yes. Yeah. So what like what what is it about that? I well I feel like especially I feel like artists because of the position that we're put in a lot we have to say yes to things we don't really want and then I think being a woman in this world there's we're we're you know we are conditioned to make things as easy as possible and to please people and to keep everything cool and so we say yes a lot Mm. and um and and i don't even think that we realize like how deep this is as a society and how upsetting it is when women start saying no and stop being so amenable and stop being the ones that make everything comfortable so there's layers to the no you know what i mean like there's stuff that is not ethically spiritually aligned with me that is easy to say no to and then also i like to be able to say no when people talk to me or treat me a certain way because mm-hmm. i'm an artist and so you should be providing this service or you're a woman and you should be you know it's just yeah i it, saying no is not like the easiest thing i will say it's like a muscle you gotta yeah, exercise truly and even i have trouble with it too Still, but um, no, I find it like one of the most powerful tools in my arsenal. No, you can't have this. It is. It is. I uh, there's this there's this phrase or actually a book I read recently called "The Courage to Be Disliked." Ooh. And uh, that's that for for a long time, especially when I was like a teenager, um, it was very difficult for me to be assertive in that way. Mm. And so I would do things like make music videos for thirty dollars. People, yeah, people no. hit me up that little ass price, bro. Let me get a music video. I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> $30 is like a meal of hot bellies now. <laughs> you can get a milkshake and a sandwich. <laughs> That's crazy. But I feel like we've all, I feel like creatives across the board would be, would be able to relate to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate that, um, that I'm in a place in my career where that's not as, I mean, it still is. People still hit me up asking for ridiculous stuff for nothing all the time, honestly. Like what? Oh, <laughs> my favorite is when someone will be like, hey, um, can you tailor these pants for me? And I'm like, <laughs> you could go, go to a to dry the- <laughs> cleaner. Go to the dry cleaner. Actually, what I said the first time, and this is, I like, I definitely shouldn't be repeating these kind of stories, but um, the first time someone said that. This is what I do these interviews for. (laughs) To like catch me with 10 seconds. You can spam me on Twitter later in my career. Um, Sorry, Josh. (laughs) Shout out, Josh. (laughs) Um, Someone asked me to tailor some clothing for them, and I was like, would you ask Hebrew Brantley to paint your bathroom? You know, like. I mean, it'd be cool if he did, but like he not gonna, he's not gonna—he's not here—he's not here to paint the beige. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. that's not—I mean, I could tailor you, but you don't want me to do that. That's not my specialty. Yeah, you're gonna get yeah, a much—you're yeah, gonna yeah. get much more satisfaction if you go to somebody that does that. Um, but I've also like softened on that. I used to be real, 
you don't know what I do. Fuck you then. <laughs> um, but I'm less that way now. I mean, I feel like I've gotten older and I have a, I have a really substantial meditation practice and I've chilled out nice. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important. Very important stuff. Um, but I've chilled out a lot, so I'm not as like about that kind of stuff. But yeah, people, I think it's just because I do so many different things that people have a hard time wrapping their head around what it is that I actually do. So they just ask me a ton of stuff. And what's really fun is that people will ask me to do stuff I've never done before uh, for money, like on like large stages. And they trust me to do that because that's kind of, you know, I, all my stuff is so different and I'm able to deliver across the board lots of different kinds of stuff. And so people trust me with being able to figure it out, which is cool. That is cool. It doesn't have to be uh, the best one. So don't think about too much about giving the right answer. But like what are what off the top, like what are like three, two projects that have been your favorite people to work with and why? Oh, that's so easy. Um, my favorite project of all time ever is the Chairman Fred Hampton. Um, mm. did, I don't know if you saw that. I did I, see that. Yeah, yeah the, the 10 foot or the he's like nine and a half feet tall, uh, blue velvet wooden um, portrait of the chairman. I remember moving to Chicago and um, going to the DuSable Museum and seeing the door to the um, the Black Panther headquarters. It's crazy. It's in Kerry James Marshall private collection, which is just like so wild that this like huge artist has this piece of history in his collection. Um, but it's the door that the Chicago Police Department fired through. Right, and they fired something like 99 shots um, into, they, they, well, they drugged Chairman Fred, and then they um, shot 99 rounds into the apartment, which is just insane. Um, and I saw this door, and it just like, it like did something, it just did something to me. And I, and I, I had known the story a little bit of Chairman Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party in Illinois, um, but it made me want to know everything about it, and I needed I needed to understand it. I had this very visceral reaction to it, so I started working on this um, nine and a half foot piece of him. I figure this was before the movie came out, the Messiah, the Black Messiah movie. Um, it was before a lot of people were talking about Chairman Fred. I mean, people hesitate to talk about him because the issues that he was highlighting. Um, are so still so pertinent today. They're like, it feels like there's no time or space between that movement and this one. Um, and so I thought if I did a 10 foot velvet portrait of this man, then people would have to stop and say like, who is that? Why is that? Why did mm. you do that? And then I could explain why. Um, and, may and well, yeah, and, and maybe it would give somebody um, the first step into maybe looking at, um, looking at the US government or looking at these at these social movements, maybe it would give them that little bit of just uh, connection so that they could start to question their own complicity in it. And also like the reality of what we see in front of us and also our, our um, uh, punitive state. Um, I just thought that that would be an important thing for me to do. Um, the, the role of the artist is to make revolution irresistible. This is Toni Cade Bambara. She's an abolitionist author, and she wrote that, and that, like, blew my mind. And she's right. Like, the artist's role is to, is to get the, the people where we need, like, mind, body, soul, you know, so that we can confront the reality of this world that we live in. And I think that that starts with knowledge. I think that knowledge can change people's hearts, I hope. And so that was kind of my... 
No, I really do. Like, because we have yeah. to start somewhere. Like, yeah. we have to change this big collective consciousness because what we're doing is not working, frankly. It's just not. Um, and so I, I thought the chairman would be a good way to start that. And what's so crazy is, like, Chairman Fred Hampton's son, Chairman Fred Jr., got in touch with me. He, like, saw me working on it. And so we got in touch with one another. He got in touch with me, and I told him what I wanted to do with the piece. I said I wanted to bring it out to the chairman's childhood home. And so we arranged that, and we made that happen. And Panthers came from all over the Midwest to see him. And we got to celebrate his birthday. And now the chairman piece is at Healthy Hood Chicago in Pilsen. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Hood, yeah. And, so, and it's being used as a point of education. You know what I mean? That's like very they, interesting. They have their interns going through revolutionary education and part of that is talking about chairman fred you know i'm i'm at healthy hood and they'll and they'll reference chairman fred and they'll look over and they'll be like yes chairman fred to the you know the big piece there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he also went back out to maywood to celebrate the chairman's birthday again so he's being used to educate and to centralize these kind of um ideals and that's exactly why i made him so mm -hmm. i just so that's that's my favorite because it feels, it feels like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, you know I mean that's interesting how that works, right? Like when you create an unconventional piece of art, it feels more easy to draw into versus like if she had just shown some digital picture or like even a print uh, versus like a mural or like what you created. There's something about it that gives it more. Well, art is like art is this intangible magic thing that we do as humans. You know what I mean? It's like similar to music, right? Like, it's this deep need to create so that we um, communicate with one another, connect with one another. Like, art is connective. You know, when you take arts programming out of schools, which is what happens when they cut budgets, you're taking away um, emotional learning. You're taking away like teaching children how to feel. <laughs> art is really important in that way. And I know it's like very hippy dippy and like touchy feely or whatever, but that shit is necessary. You know, mm. of course it's going to be a more reflective point for people to talk with this huge, you know, we're used to digital images. We're used to a ton of stuff. It takes a lot for us to stop and go, Oh, what's that these days? Um, and I think that that's like part of what the artist is here to do should be doing yeah um what makes you excited to work on something what makes me excited to work on something i get i'm i get really excited very easily uh <laughs> me too. I, I i get excited to collaborate with people i really get excited about bringing like a vision to life i really get excited when i get to work in like i love working in basketball spaces i just get like super geek yeah like the WNBA is one of the you have that pinned and then you have the bulls pinned so yeah. like two of your three pins on instagram which is like the scarce thing like oh what did they pin they can only oh, choose yeah. three you know and what I, uh, I chose i chose uh, basketball right. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, oh, she must really like basketball. I, I, I love basketball. So the fact that I even get to do anything in that world is just like, uh, it's a dream. I mean, I, 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 never, I never played. I'm like not, you know, I, I am a fast cross stitcher, but I am a fast almost nothing else. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that I, get to, uh, that I get to work in these spaces that I, I get to come in and be like a woman of sport and have people listen to my opinions and get to create stuff and um, have people recognize my knowledge base or even my like being in that space is really, I get really excited about that. Um, I get really excited about working with pro athletes. Pro athletes are so fun. They really, 
they work really, really hard. And so they understand when they're looking at hard work. And so it's, mm. I never would have guessed it, but like me and the professional basketball players, we get along really well. <laughs> that makes, that's interesting, yeah. right? Like, it's like, no matter what you do, if you work really hard, you can recognize when somebody Literally. else is putting in effort. Exactly. That's and so like, interesting. And professional athletes, especially because that is their whole, they, by nature of, to succeed in their craft. They have they to They have to work hard. Yeah. Huh, that's fascinating. What um you you said you're a you're a fast stitch god, but you've also said that these things take a long time. Yeah. Yes. Like if you were to charge minimum wage, it would still be thousands of dollars yes. for these things. And I saw you made this like Beyonce one that took you like 6 months. And then I so, then I restarted it. What? <laughs> yeah, I I did one version of the Beyonce and I was like I just didn't like it. You know, I, my, what I wanted to do, my skill level wasn't there yet. That mm. happens to me all the time where I'm like, oh, I need to do this, but I don't know how yet because I'm entirely self-taught. So I, the Beyonce one, yeah, I started and then I was like, oh, I was unhappy with it. So I started it all over again. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm a masochist. That's the one thing about art. I consider myself an artist in various ways and uh, I hate that potentially happening. What? feeling like i'm displeased with it and having to start over something i worked on for six months so but that's just life though you know what i'm <laughs> saying true. like i don't know i i'm never so convinced with pleasing anybody else with what i'm making so much as i am pleased as i want to please myself with mm -hmm, what i'm making mm -hmm. my standards are ridiculous for mm -hmm. myself like very 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 high and i if i don't feel really good in my gut about it I got to figure out why. And I, and I just, the color grading was wrong on that. I just like, didn't know what I was getting myself into in the beginning, hmm. but having done it once, I learned whatever I needed to so that I could do it correctly the second time. So it didn't really feel like I lost six months. Really. It, it really it felt like, feel like that at all. It felt like I was learning what I needed to learn so that I could do it period. Hmm. Which I feel like it's all perspective, right? Like we don't look at our trials and tribulations like that. And we really should. Because they really are just teaching us stuff. That's not, yeah. you know. I try to look at everything that I otherwise would look at as wasted time. But then sometimes I'm afraid that I'm rationalizing it that way. Mm. I'm like, did I really maybe waste that time? But but like wasted time is part of process too. And process yeah. is everything. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're like entirely too hard on ourselves. Especially when we're like trying to create stuff. You know? And so I feel like we give ourselves grace by understanding that these parts that we may not like about our process are simply just part of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's no, there's no use in being like, Oh, I wasted this time. Like the time is gone. You know what I mean? Like all you're doing by being like, Oh no, I've wasted this time and it's impacted my outcome is just like wasting more time worrying about it. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, you know who Jay Shetty is? Yeah. He, he likes to say guilt prevents growth. At the time that you spend being mad about at yourself about why you didn't do this in a way that you felt was correct is wasted time just moving forward. And it becomes and unwasted time when you incorporate it into like the learning. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like that was necessary for you to understand that so that you can change whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and a lot of a lot of people, uh, what you what you call it, um, perpetuators say similar things. Like, you know who Sadhguru is, or or Gary V. Oh, I know They're Gary like, V. Yeah, Gary V. is <laughs> like if you're looking back, you're breaking your neck. Sadhguru is like if you're uh, thinking, if you're uh, reflecting too much on the past, you're trying to drive while looking in the rearview mirror. There's like. All these. Do you do you remember when Jimmy Butler was like, "I don't even have a rearview mirror, so I can't look back." Fiat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, side note: Shout out to Jimmy Butler because the Stitch God and I both think that was really interesting what he just did with his hair. With his hair, no, yeah. I, I just, We're fans. I just love. I just love buckets. I really feel like we. I miss him as Bull, and I'm just happy that he's doing his thing. And I, I love that he is fearless but like yeah, that yeah. was one of my favorite quotes of his it's like i don't even i don't even have a rear view mirror in my car because i don't look back <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that's dangerous jimmy <laughs> <laughs> like like re- look regardless of if i would do the same thing like if i would dress up in that way or not when somebody does something fearlessly and unconventionally that always is like i think dope well i just i love it when people are really into being exactly who the fuck they are. That is my favorite quality in somebody is like really just being about the person that you are and leaning into it. And I feel like that's what that is, you know. He just mm-hmm. really leaning into himself and that's what came up and I and I love it. I think it's great. I think it's like shadows of Rodman, you know. I remember being in the third grade and Rodman wearing a wedding dress and marrying himself. And that is like, (laughs) it's stuck, it's iconic, stuck in my head forever. But it was also like, he was being the most himself he could possibly be. And that to me is like the most inspiring thing. Yeah, I love Rodman. People get thrown off when I say this, but because of how enthusiastic I am about it. But when he went to uh, North Korea... You've and seen the Big Bang in Pyongyang then? Have you seen the documentary? <laughs> There's a whole documentary about yes, it? Yes, by an Irish betting company. You really? Watch. Yeah, yeah. It's called the Big Bang in Pyongyang. I'm about to watch that yeah. one. As soon as I... Yeah. Or sometime. No, I can't do that. Yeah, I'm going to watch that though. <laughs> but um, I thought that was so interesting. What? His like diplomacy? Yeah. I mean, I think... Rodman is such an interesting character, right? Like he he had a a tough growing up and he feels really from everything I've ever seen about him, he feels really connected to people. Like he he places his family in the people around him. That's who mm-hmm. he, that's what his family is to him. And so I I found it really interesting that he is like the one that could break through to the hermit kingdom. Like that's crazy. <laughs> and it's because their leader loves the nineties bulls. You know what I mean? Like what, how wild is that? Like one of the, the, I, I just, I just think it's really crazy that basketball could provide that kind of diplomacy in the first place. You know yeah. what I mean? And he's willing to accept who's around him. Yeah. He really, yeah, he's an he's an interesting he's, man. You gotta watch you gotta watch the movie. As far as basketball documentaries go, it is a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Let me go see for myself." Yes, I, like that's how I I feel like if I'm gonna go, it, the last thing I want to do is listen to someone else tell me someone else is a bad person before I've met them myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, sometimes here and there, that's maybe not the best. Mindsets obviously like kikiing with um with like a ruthless dictator has its own ethical like quandaries and holes but (laughs) generally yes (laughs) like would i interview kim jong-un on this podcast absolutely yeah but how whoever's watching this right now they might hear me say that and they're like whoa buddy slow down there (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I mean I, he is like he is legit like not a good. He's person. not. I'm not saying. And I'm he not like saying starves that. his people, but he but is fascinating. I would fascinating. love to talk to him for myself, yeah, just yeah, to yeah. see how he responds to the way I try to get the nuggets out of him. Do you think you'd start with Bulls basketball? Would I'd that start be the with something. <laughs> Cause like that—that's the thing that he loves. Yeah, yeah. He's just like bulls basketball and cars and yeah. Was it? Is it cognac? He really likes cognac. He like he's one of the biggest importers of cognac on the planet. Yeah, yeah. I did a podcast once where we had to. Um, the whole premise was that you couldn't talk about any of the things that you're known for. So I couldn't talk about art or fashion or politics or music. <laughs> so I, so the thing I knew the most about after all those things was North, North Korea. I've probably read like every single English language. Book really? Oh yeah. 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 Um, so I did like a whole hour and hour long podcast about North really? Korea. Yeah. 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 So I find <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's fascinating. It's people on the very like brink of you know what i mean like it's the fabric of society is tearing with that place yeah yeah so it's i find wild. it really so i find it really fascinating but yeah so i did a whole podcast about it so yes yeah, particularly interesting for me rodman north korea crossover <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad that we were able to get there in this podcast you know so often we don't <laughs> yeah it's interesting isn't it just how like malleable people's brains are depending on the environment that they're in all we yeah. want all we want is like belonging for real you know and i think that human beings individually were easier to contend with than on mass yeah mm -hmm. easy like malleable yes but also like conditioned you know and also and this is a wild thing to say i mean the way that north korea does propaganda is not that far i mean the u.s propaganda machine is woo chugging along you know what i'm saying like we we have a we're taught a ton of stuff, too, that, like, would maybe look very crazy if we hadn't been brought up this way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the only difference is we just have a giant international flux of all kinds of people who have all kinds of perspectives and a uh, super overly connected just as much to the top other countries to this, uh, you know, the Internet. Yeah. This giant knowledge exchange, which... Korea on both of those yeah. ends does not have. Yeah, no, uh, North Korea. Well, they're they're getting a little bit more access to the internet than they had before, but mm -hmm. like, no, no, they don't. Like I can only imagine if there were more less restrictions uh, and biases towards tourists and more access to the internet, how that might change. Well, yeah, I mean they minds. have they have a whole they have there's all these campaigns. Um, South Koreans fly in media. There's like this crazy t statistic about how many homes in North Korea now have DVD players. Like the influence from other countries is definitely there, way more than it ever has been before. Defections are like very common these days into China. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think <laughs> another uh, the wild statement I'll say again. I think the U.S. and North Korea are not as far apart as one might think. I interviewed this guy named Wally Green. He's the uh, national ambassador for ping pong. And, uh, he, <laughs> that must he, have been crazy. He grew up in the streets in Brooklyn. Whoa. And uh, then he like got brought into international ping pong and that like saved his life. How and uh, he went to North Korea for diplomacy for world peace. And he's playing ping pong with them. It's the wildest story. Uh, every time uh, he gets, he scores on the North Korean opponent, the entire 5,000 people go, hmm. <laughs> 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 mm. <laughs> I think that's so funny.
funny. And at first he was about to go off on on the on him because he felt like you know all this hate. But then eventually, every time he got scored on, he would just look up and he would smile and shrug his shoulders. And eventually, their reactions started changing to be more receptive. And at the end of it, when he ended up losing, he went and he reached out to shake the guy's hand. And the uh, the North Korean opponent was apprehensive, and he brings him in for a big bear hug, and the whole audience goes, "Yay!" Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. It's interesting, right? Yeah. So I think just like more exposure to people who are displaying like we may not be on the same page entirely, but I'm not I'm willing to like not hate you. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like that's like a universal thing, right? It's like there's a great book that we probably studied all in high school, All Quiet on the Western Front, that is like it's basically about that. It's about soldiers on either side kind of being like, What are we doing we're just dudes <laughs> it's like probably the wildest summation of that book ever but um but yeah like we are you know human beings i think that we're all much more similar than we are different even though we may feel like we're all super different and speaking speaking about like uh women and female empowerment mm. i was listening to damon dash talk about why he wishes there was more women that ran the world because war and fighting is like one of the stupidest things that people can do and that's what dudes do all day long literally all the time. that thing we we're talking about <laughs> ego ego like that's what's that's what's ruining everything i mean like yeah i i i making sweeping statements is like never very good but i believe if we had more women in power we'd have way less conflict yeah because dudes almost all dudes in the words of damon dash want to be the boss yeah so it's always this like hierarchical primal it's always i mean it's every like even working in corporate spaces when i because i worked in a lot of sports when working with teams in front offices that were primarily women versus men it was like night and day i mean in every situation when you work with a team of women it's they, they're not to say that not to say that they're you know uncompetitive right yeah. but women, no women have egos and we do yeah, all yeah, the yeah. fuck shit too but i'm saying like in general more <laughs> like the culture it's baked into our culture for men to have more of this kind of ego clashing and injecting all of this stuff into everything they do um yeah i yeah i <laughs> in my mid to late 30s i do girl gangs a whole lot more like i i kiki with with the women a lot more than i used to just because of that you know i i dealing with ego is fucking exhausting and and i feel like watching the news in america is just like healthy doses of it every day um yeah i think yeah i think that mm, there's this inherent want to like conquer and be in charge of that makes getting things done difficult. Mm, Very true. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very true. It's like, why does Vladimir Putin want that part of Ukraine so bad? Like what's to it for real? What's to it? Exactly. What's to it? (laughs) I would like to ask him that. Well, no, but like, it really is like, it's, it ties (laughs) into him riding around bare chested on a horse and taking ice baths and, you know, being this paragon of masculinity for all of Russia. It's all, all those things are tied up together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Various people, whether, whether I, uh, whether I see them in a certain way or not, there's certain people that I'm, I'd just be curious to talk to. He's one of them as well. Like what's, why bro? Yeah. What's to it, bro? (laughs) Why though? You know, (laughs) I just like, I, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I, it's like a very, I feel like the world is a very scary place right now. We have a lot of really like crazy male ego just running shit unchecked, you know. 
we also just have a a world where everybody's super concerned with being the best yes if not more affluent yes and we're burning ourselves alive for something we fucking came up with it's like crazy. We're like, we have this one place to live. School does too. Sorry, not to cut you. Yeah, keep going. yeah, no. I mean, well, school's so fascinating, right? The the ring, the bell ringing system was basically to get children ready for factory work. It's like you're a cow. That's that's what it is. Uh, that's what it is. Ring, Why, ring. I mean, pop, I mean, not to get like too crazy, but poverty is manufactured so that we can send people to the military. Like, not be, all the way because, but that's like one of the reasons. You know, like poverty doesn't have to be a thing. We're the richest country in the history of mankind. And we're like the only one without guaranteed maternity leave, health care, like all these benefits. It's fucking crazy. I feel like there's definitely enough intelligent people in this country that have connection to wealth to do that. It's just like, do they feel like no, of course do they not. care about it? No, I mean, all, all the people in charge, all these people in charge making tons of money haven't bought themselves a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk at a grocery store in 30 years. There's no connection to people. You can't be for the people. You're not amongst them at all. There's no interest in changing that. I don't think. I also believe, though, that in order to make change in that way, it uh, may be difficult to uh, frame people like that as enemies. Like, yeah. if you can figure out a way to win them over so that they can actually go to places and talk to people. and Well, that's like the whole... I feel like that's like the theme of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about anyway is just like human connection and how... It, how to make that realistic. We are so siloed, you know. The internet is great because it makes it democratizes a ton of stuff and makes things like really available and there's lots of knowledge or whatever, but it also allows us to be in these little fucking bubbles. You know what I mean? And not have to be around people who have different thoughts than us, not have to challenge ourselves, just echo chamber, echo chamber, and that's no good either. That's funny how that works, right? As much as the internet is like a giant yeah. connected we mind go the, web. We go to the corner we want. Yeah. Or not even intentionally. The yeah. algorithms put us in the corner. Exactly. <laughs> and if we and if we and if we fuck around and stay around too long, they're gonna radicalize us too. <laughs> Shit. The algorithm on, is on one. <laughs> the algorithm is on one for sure. It's it's also I I also get irritated a bit how people when people say the algorithm because it's like there are many. <laughs> and and even then it's like it's all it's all malleable it's like you can and they change all the time they change all the time it's yeah. literally just some programmer in an office like this being like well <laughs> <laughs> no, i remember really. from my days of working in tech like our algorithm was like the be all end all the because it was what drove business and yeah. so they're always trying to figure out how to make the algorithm work differently do you want to do you want to keep your job do you want to get paid more well figure out how to make Billy, stay on Instagram for three seconds it, longer. It, literally, that's it. <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> and now my Explorer page is filled with things that I will not talk about on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is all like, because it's I don't, I don't love, I, I hate like the pimple stuff, but my Explorer page is all that. <laughs> and I'm just like, why? This shit is so gross. I'm well, so, <laughs> so disturbed by it. It must keep you on Instagram one, two seconds longer. I, <laughs> I just like, I avoid, I avoid it. I'm like, what fucked up hell is in this explore page? It used to be art. It used to be fiber art and like denim and clothing. And now it's all like blackhead extractions and I just hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's the truth. Yeah, it's wild. Um, going back to fashion. Yeah, I feel like wild, wild <laughs> tangents aside, North Korea Rodman aside. Uh, North Korea and uh, blackhead extraction yes. <laughs> aside. 
Um, the tags for this, the hashtags for this podcast. You've said that uh, people use what they wear to say things about themselves. Yeah. Like right now, this, your whole fit is like very Chicago. Is it? it if you, have a, you have a Bulls hat. You have a 23 chain. You have a Jordan shirt. You have some Air Jordans on your feet. I don't know what these pants are, but they just match the black. <laughs> and <laughs> Actually, these are, these are up-tempos. These are Scottie Pippen shoes. Oh, really? Yeah. Pippen wore the up-tempos. But yeah, good eye. Um, well, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that either. No, I... So what what you just want me to comment on 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 that or Oh yeah, I was going to I was going to say to just comment on like what do you try to use clothes to say like what about yourself? And then when you look at somebody else wearing whatever they're wearing, what does what what does that about them say to you? Well, I have as far as what I wear goes, I I read a book, <laughs> I read a lot. I read a book about how um the like the logistics of running the White House, just as like from the staff perspective, mm-hmm. and there was a there's a chapter where they talked about Barack Obama getting ready in the morning, and how it was something that he never, they never wanted him to have to think about. When you're when you're doing a job like that, you want to take as much of the every minutia, second exactly. You want to take as much of the minutia off the plate as you can, and part of that is picking out an outfit. So I always sought for my wardrobe. Since I read that, it kind of clicked, and I was like, oh, I need my wardrobe to be this a functional piece. It needs to um, be something that I can just like... I should back up. There's another stylist who also told me that you should be able to close your eyes, reach into your closet, pick a top and bottom, and have them go together. And if you can do that, then you really got it. Interesting. Yes. Huh. And so, like, while my wardrobe doesn't exactly do that, I can basically do that, where I pick a top and a bottom, and they'll more or less go together. And But that has been, like, years of planning, knowing exactly, like, what kinds of things I want to buy, being intentional, you know, getting custom pieces, doing local designers. Like, I've really worked hard on my wardrobe. And I have, a, dope. I have a uniform, though. People recognize it. You know what I mean? Like, people will expect me to, to see me in, like, a little skirt, maybe usually all black, some sneakers. Like, I feel like Doug Funny, like, oh, Hey Arnold, any of these cartoon <laughs> characters. I'm going to show up in the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's not the same thing, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's Emma. Looks like mm-hmm. Emma. And that's been really having a visual identity, while not intentional how I started doing it, has been really helpful because you know, when I'm picking things out, it, it's mm. much easier to get stuff. And then as far as looking at other people, it goes back to that thing I was saying about really just enjoying people being themselves. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can really see that in how somebody wears something. Um, how What somebody has on tells a lot about how they engage w- the world, you know? That's true. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'm a, I'm I'm taking these gems from you right now, figuring out how I'm gonna do my wardrobe in the next year or two. Like now, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have like a crazy expressive wardrobe, and then I'm gonna have just like one that I could just reach into, and yes. on any day I'd yeah. be cool to just exactly. What's what what outfit says this is me? Hey world, you know. Mm-hmm. That's always what I'm trying to like figure out. I and also I I tend to wear like more of a. A blank slate with my clothing because I feel like me, the person, and everything I come with is so loud and explicit and um, and will tell you what I'm about that I don't need to really super be that way with my clothing. Mm. What about when you look at other people? What do you notice? Um, I always... 
I notice a lot of things. Like I spend a lot of my time thinking about clothing, looking at clothing, making clothing, being involved in conversations about it. So like even with your outfit today, I was like, all right, my man's is styling. I love this tan <laughs> on tan. No, I mean, it, it told me a lot about you. It told me that you cared about your presentation in this way. It told me that you like that you're into music and art and culture just I love by Bob the, Marley. You, yeah, you, you love Bob. And like, obviously, I mean, I don't know. You could, I could just tell a lot from you with this outfit that you're wearing. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it presented you before you presented you. That's mm. what our clothing does. Um, and so I'm, I think that I'm more interested in the relationship that the person has with their clothing, like the, why they wore that. And I'm never as like, I mean, I like, I like, designer stuff but i'm never been like ooh, look at that you know that fucking fendi or whatever <laughs> it's, it's more so like what is this person's relationship to this clothing and why did they choose to wear that yeah 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 that's why i've never understood like the competitive nature of how expensive a luxury watch is because i have a really close friend Crazy. of mine that he's like obsessed with it that like he wants watches just so people can quote cry tears of jealousy no, there's whole Instagram accounts. There's whole Instagram accounts that are like dedicated to identifying and and talking about these expensive watches that people wear. It ties into all the stuff we were talking about before. You know, this destructive ego stuff. How else are you going to make someone feel small? Look how much money I have on my wrist, and you know it too. You know what I'm saying? Like that's all that is. <laughs> that's so weird to me. Though. It's so weird. It's but it's so ego driven. Like I, I think that there's a difference between having something that is like nice and expensive and well made that you want to have. Yeah, I'm down to have an expensive right? watch as Usually long as it looks cool. Well, yeah, and also like if you're gonna spend money on clothing, it should last you a long time, and you should mm -hmm. really love it. Yeah. Did you know that 85% of textiles end up in landfills every year? That's did you, wild. Did you know that fashion is the second highest polluter on earth? It is. It is more of a polluter than the aviation. Okay, that's all planes, aviation, and um, automobile transit combined. I did know it was in like the top five. It's number two, and it is more than cars and planes combined. That's wild. And 85% of it every year ends up in a landfill. We are not thoughtful with the way that we purchase our clothes, with the way that we interact with fashion. That's another reason that I make mine the way that I do and have it be so slow. Um, and do so few pieces because like mass production, I don't need to be t-shirt poppy. Like we got enough of that. I don't want a bunch of my stuff to end up in a landfill. I don't need everybody to have stitch God stuff. I don't. I doubt a single piece of yours has ended up in a landfill. I, you know, I wouldn't, I, I try never to be surprised by things. So my, my pieces have shown up back to me in some wild ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I would hope so never. I, like, I don't want to be, yeah, I don't want to be part of that problem for real. You know, I don't want to be part of that, uh, the thing that makes fashion, um, the fashion industry so like dark and scary. Like I'm trying to be as mindful and intentional so I'm not contributing to that culture, you know. Well, on that note, I think we're up at our time. And uh, this has been a super fantastic, yeah, amazing conversation. Yeah, we covered a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so Thank much you for having me. Thank you for joining me. me today. This was amazing. And we're out. Woo! Whoa.